this episode of Stories from the Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel, and I'll be joined in just a minute by Mary Lang. But first, we'd like to wish everyone at home a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we hope that with the release of this episode, we'll be back on our regular bi-weekly release schedule. So, now over to my previous self and Mary Lang. started with uh, this episode with our topics for this episode we'd like to celebrate our first anniversary as this episode will be coming out uh, just before we go to Chicago TARDIS and of course with obviously marking our first anniversary of the podcast so uh, before we get started a big thank you to all of you who have been listening to us for the last year hopefully we haven't wasted too much of your time and you might actually have learned or found something new to listen to Wow, we've actually been doing it for a year. <laughs> yes. Well, technically, we've actually been recording for uh, a year, and, for uh, one year and a month, roughly. So, Wow. Gosh, it doesn't seem like that long. Yes, and we have covered quite a bit of ground in the last year. We've covered a whole bunch of ranges. I introduced you to Blake 7. Did you actually introduce me to Blake 7? You, if I remember correctly, you said you actually you had didn't really know anything about it prior to listening to it okay. uh, for the first time. So, okay. All right, because now I'm such a big fan of it, it's hard for me to remember that I ever hesitated listening to it. Yes, it was only about 11 months ago you were hesitating <laughs> about listening to it, as I recall. Well, you also introduced me to Sherlock Holmes. Yes. We've covered a whole bunch of ground in the last year, and it, just within Doctor Who, and we still have a whole lot more to cover as well, especially if Big Finish keep releasing things the way they do. I know, I am so behind. So much to listen to in so little time. Yes, and you know, lots of exciting stuff coming. The uh, Third Doctor's box set, which has just been announced within the last few days as we're recording this, which is a big Third Doctor fan I'm very much looking forward to listening to. Though All I can say at this point is, Tim Trelore. I hope you've been working on your third doctor since you were in light at the end. That is all I can say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so with that, unless you've got something to add, Mary? Nope. Okay. With that, we're going to move on to our topics for today's episode. Now, Series 8, as we're recording this, just finished airing within the last couple of weeks. And... As such, we're going to be taking a look at a couple of stories from Big Finish's Doctor Who Unbound range. That's the range that ran in 2003 for the full show's 40th anniversary with, the, with a series of stories set outside of Doctor Who's normal continuity. And since we've had a slightly darker Doctor on our screens and we've had transgendering Time Lords, we thought we'd take a look at a couple of stories from that range that touched upon those very themes. We'll be looking at Full Fathom 5 and Exile. So, without further ado, Full Fathom 5. Welcome to the Deep Sea Energy Exploration Project, General Flint. You won't regret coming here. I hope not, Professor Vollmer. So, this is the DEEP that eats so much of my R&D budget, huh? That whole area of the seabed will still be contaminated by radiation, even after nearly 30 years. If it's so dangerous, why are you going? I'm going for you, Ruth. I shared my hopes and fears with you, things I couldn't tell anyone else. And this is how you repay me, with betrayal, going behind my back, diverting money from my funding for this, this freak show. Oh my god, it's a baby! 
It's a horror show. An exhibition of atrocities, all in the name of science. Oh, you're not going to the seabed in that rust bucket, are you? Hey! My Neptune is the fastest commercial mini-sub on this coast. The Neptune? <laughs> How original. Wouldn't the Titanic be more appropriate? Uh, have you ever uh, thought of taking up smuggling, Doctor? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Who the hell are you? Smith. Dr. John Smith. But everyone just calls me the Doctor. I've come to save the day. Well, now, uh, before we start, um, I want to warn you that, oh, I loved one of these, but I really hated the other one. Um, but I won't tell you which is which until we're in well into it. Uh, so, Matthew, what did you think of Full Fathom 5? I enjoyed it. Well, I say enjoyed it. It was, when I bought it, I was aware that it had a controversial reputation. I wasn't aware why it had a controversial reputation. And then I listened to it, and then I could very easily see why it had the reputation that it is. It's a very Marmite one, isn't it? You it love is. It. Hate it. <laughs> well, it, the reason it's Marmite is because of what its unbound what-if is. I wrote about the whole Unbound series about uh, a year and a half or so ago. No, I think the article wasn't published till far more recently for Hootopia, the fanzine. Um, and I talked about this release by saying that um, that the TV series has shown the Doctor as being violent and, you know, at times downright manipulative if you think of things, you know, like the Seventh Doctor, for example. But there's something about this story and what it does with the Doctor, I think, that really is what makes it what it is. And it, you know, it's either utterly brilliant, utterly terrible. Mm -hmm. um, people's opinions go in both those directions, and they only go in those directions. People don't go, oh, this is okay. They go, it's either utterly brilliant or it's utterly terrible. It's utterly something. <laughs> um, but what it is, I personally think that in terms of the script and what it does, I think it's utterly brilliant in what it does because it turns the whole moral compass, as it were, of the Doctor on its head. What we get, and am I allowed to drop spoilers since this is 12 years old, almost? <laughs> I think it would be okay, yeah. Okay. That the, What it does is that it basically turns the Doctor, who we've always known as sort of a very moral person, even if he does, you know strangles his companion or picks up a gun and shoots a Cyberman or basically plays a, a giant chess game with an ancient evil from the dawn of time, you know, with, hu with you know, human lives as the stakes, he's a good man, you know, touching upon the whole recent business in Series 8. Here, this is a man who believes that the ends justify the means. And the whole story is about this deep-sea energy research project the DEEP, or D-E-E-P, that was apparently involved in some kind of illegal experimentation. Nobody quite knows for sure. You know, the doctor goes down to investigate. He's followed by the daughter of a scientist who worked at the base who, was, who believes her father was scapegoated for what happened. And the story actually unfolds across two different time periods. Um, one being before the destruction of the base, and then another one with the grown-up daughter 27 years later. And it gets very interesting very quickly because, you know, the whole undersea base thing and what's going on there, I think, very much touches upon a lot of tropes that we're used to from Doctor Who. I couldn't help but think of Warriors of the Deep done right to a large extent <laughs> because you do get that sense of this, gr uh, this grimy, run-down 
face, which is what Johnny Byrne originally intended in that story, and the production team kind of mangled it, where strange things are going on, and the Doctor kind of just walks into the middle of it to save the day. It's not the Doctor, though, that we're used to, and he does some very unexpected things as a result. And I think that, you know, the great joy of the Unbound range is the fact that you can do that kind of thing. Because there's no other Doctor that you could have done this with, I don't think, without you know going out and doing what they did, which is doing this whole Unbound range and exploring the possibilities. I, I thoroughly like it. I think it does have some issues, though, which we'll, I guess we can talk about as we go on. But I think on the whole, it's a really interesting idea, for the most part, well executed. What did you think, Mary? Because I'm very curious to know which one you liked and which one you hated. <clears throat> well, <laughs> this is the one that I hated. Oh! <laughs> I hate to think that I uh, have some kind of fragile sensibilities. And yet, listening to this story, I found myself recoiling, not just from the results of the experiments that they were doing, because they are described in gruesome detail. Yes. What you find. Um, and I found myself not really even wanting to fully picture what they're talking about because it is so awful. Yeah, very uh, gruesome. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I would look for. Um, but the doctor himself, I found myself wishing to withdraw from because, and I understand in the Unbound series that every Everyone is portrayed a little differently. The concept of the doctor is different. Yeah. Um, I choose generally not to watch shows in which the main characters are kind of angry, in power, manipulative, and at some, sometimes downright evil in, in how I interpreted what he was doing. Yeah. Um, so I found myself not just recoiling from the results of the experiments he finds, but the, but the doctor himself. Um, I did not enjoy him. Um, I didn't like him. <laughs> and if I did not have to listen to the whole thing um, so that I had to talk about it, I probably would have shut it off at some point and considered this one, um, you know, that I, I can do better things with my time than listen to this um, nasty, retaliatory doctor. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Things just got interesting very quickly because I, I, I have the exact opposite opinions uh, sort of going through it. Had you heard this before uh, we decided to listen to it? Uh, no, I had not listened to this before. Interestingly enough, <clears throat> when I started into listening to Big Finish, you know, I, I didn't have much money to spend and I didn't want to be throwing big bucks at things I wasn't sure I would like. Right. But the Unbound series then, as well as now, is a bargain. Um, what is it? Uh, $5 an episode? Yeah, $5 for the download, $10 for the CD, because it's part of the Big Finish for a Fiverr sort of range of things. Yeah. Um, so I dove into these not realizing that they were these um, different views of the Doctor and the Doctor Who universe. Right. Um, and I found myself wondering what was going on with some of these. And so I stopped listening to them and I never did get to this one. Okay. I was just kind of curious because this is one I occasionally come back to. Um, it's one of those things I come back to every couple of years. Um, though when I looked on my iTunes, I realized it had only been about uh, a year since the last time I'd listened to it. 
And I think the fact that I've heard it multiple times, you know, may lend a slightly different perspective on it, because I kind of had the same feeling, I think, when I the first time I listened to it, because I think it was one of the last Unbounds um, I bought, um, because I was aware of sort of the controversial reputation that it had. I think that the thing about it is, is that it's very easy, and a lot of people do sort of write the Doctor off in this, played by uh, David Colling, who's probably best known from Sapphire and Steel, but classic series fandom will probably know him from uh, playing Modern in Modern Undead, and um, I believe it's Poole. No, it's not Poole. Who does he play in Robots of Death? That's going to bug me now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but I'm drifting. But I think that it's very easy to look at him as just being evil, and I don't think he's necessarily evil. I think, you know, it goes back to the whole thing about do the ends justify the means. You know, as you say, you know, what the experiments that are going on here that are being conducted by the assistant to the main scientist, sort of behind his back, they are abhorrent, they are gruesome, they are frankly evil. And the doctor, in fact, comes in and says, I am going to put a stop to this, as we expect the doctor to do. What he does in the process of making sure that happens, though, I think is where you start getting into territory that is either interesting or repellent, depending on your point of view. Yeah, well, for me, repellent, because and one of the things that has kept me in the Doctor Who universe is that he he doctor the doctor celebrates life gives people second chances no matter how reprehensible they are and in this story there is there's at least one person near the end that he could let go yeah uh, but at the last second he turns around and shoots them and when asked why did you do that it's just you know just because he doesn't deserve to live i don't remember what his response was but it's completely unsupportable yes <laughs> in agreed. the universe that i want to live in yeah this doctor was just getting rid of everybody and yeah. that, that that upset me mm. i mean it's the thing it's, it's unbound and i think that the unbound range lets you do this kind of thing yeah um it's i, I will say this that as much as i think it's brilliant i don't necessarily think it's a mo the most enjoyable thing i've ever heard I admire David Bishop as a writer because he has done some very good books for the uh, the various Doctor Who book ranges. But I think to a certain extent, I think you have to come at it from the unbound angle and to kind of accept that you're going to get into Shades of Grey very quickly. But one of the things I think is absolutely trying to the story is what it does with audience sympathies. Because, yeah, we go into a Doctor Who story, we expect the Doctor to be the good guy and our sympathies are going to be with him and his companion and what they're trying to do. And as the story goes along, the, the sort of the, the shades of gray, the thin line between hero and villain, eventually get, get to blur. And by the end of it, your sympathies have completely changed. Well, and even with the young woman that he goes down there with, the, the girl looking for her father. Yeah, this is Ruth played by Siri O'Neill. Right. Even she, who who your sympathies originally and for the full length of the story reside with, she doesn't do anything. I mean, I mean she resorts to some what I consider unsupportable and nasty behavior that I did not like either. Oh, the ending. Yeah, the ending. <laughs> oh, my, the ending. I don't, you know, if, if there's anything more controversial about this story than what it does with the Doctor, it's the ending and that last line. Oh, yeah. Especially. 
which I thought for me was sort of the coup de grace of the of the whole thing. Well, yes, yes, and and I think it's wise that we don't give away the ending. Yes, because as you say, you know, it's it's the big deal of the whole story, and um, you know, we can talk about the story, but I, I want to whet some appetites to listen to this. Yes, well, wetting some appetites. You just told people to avoid the thing, Mary. Well, we're we're giving opposite opinions, and so I'm hoping people will listen to see. Who they agree with. Yeah. And as I said at the top of this, this is controversial. It is Marmite. You, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. But the um, ending will surprise you no matter love it or hate it. Yeah. And it would, no matter what you kind of come into it, I think it's important to come into it without preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Very much so. But, you know, I, I talked about I did have some issues with it. My issues with it aren't in the script or any of the things you've kind of mentioned, which I think are interesting, dramatic things. It is the polar opposite of what we really come to expect from Doctor Who. And as a one-off, I will accept it for being that. Um, I will, too, because it is the Unbound range. Yeah. This is not, I'm not in the usual Doctor Who universe. Yeah. I mean, if they did this as part of, like, the main range, I think people would be up in arms and, tor- and torching the Big Finish production offices. Um, because that is Doctor Who fandom for you. Don't believe me? Get on Twitter. Or Gallifrey Base. Yeah. But the, the issues I actually have with it the more I've listened to it, are actually in some of the performances. There's just, I can't really tell if it's the writing and the actors are just building from that or what, but it does seem that there's a couple of performances of the actor who plays Lee, the assistant. Jake Gallagher. Jake Gallagher, whose performance never seems, there's something about it that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. It's a bit too shouty all the time. Mm-hmm. It's slightly sort of over the top. He just, I mean, everybody was obviously in the same studio when it was recorded. There's an odd disconnect with his performance, though. Yeah. And Uh, my issue with the performances are the accents. I think some of these sound like English actors doing American accents. And for me, not, not totally successful. Well, here's the, the, here's the question I want to ask you. Would the actor playing General Flint be one of those? Which one played General Fledge? Well, General Flint, the character. Would that be one of the one of the actors with the accents oh. that you would have problems with? Because you're going to tell me he's American, right? Yep. <laughs> it's it's Ed Bishop, who's like the stock actor, stock American actor, in like every British film made during the '60s and '70s. Worked a lot with Jerry Anderson. He actually has a non-speaking part in 2001: A Space Odyssey. You know that kind of thing. So he he's the one legitimate American in in the cast. Siri O'Neill, who plays Ruth, actually is British but grew up in America, so she has that kind of transatlantic-y mm-hmm. accent, which which I can accept because, let's face it, she spent 27 years living with and being raised by the doctor, so maybe yeah. his accent rubbed off on her. I, I did have a problem with that. Yeah, I did not have a problem with her. Um, though there there is a particular scene, I think it's the one you were talking about, about the experiments and whatnot when they find them where I thought her performance was just a little bit overwrought and a bit melodramatic, but I can't tell if that's the script or the performance, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. With, you know, it, it sort of undermined what was going on just a little bit. Yeah, when she's insisting on seeing her father, you know, what he really is like. Yeah, that yeah. was that was the other moment as well. Yeah, I, I felt like yeah she overdid it. I, I, yeah, once again, I, is that is that the script and the actor is working from it, or is that the performance? It's it's, it's kind of hard <clears throat> to tell. Yeah, well, what occurred to me when I heard heard her reacting 
at that point was, well, you've seen it everywhere else now. Why is it a surprise to you now? Yeah. <laughs> to this degree. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I think that there's good performances in here, though. I think, you know, David Collings' doctor, love him or hate him, he does a good job, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Ed Bishop playing General Flint, once again, Ameri you know, stock American actor and everything. I think he comes across very well as sort of this military type who's kind of running the base. Mm -hmm. I do love the fact that everybody else calls the base the deep, and he's like the D-E-E-P. Mm -hmm. um, which, um, I, having, uh, because of my dad's work when I was younger, met, a, met quite a few military types, I can utterly believe that, because that tends to be, that seems to be what they do. Everybody else can use that. Everybody else can call it one thing. They'll call it by the initials. Uh-huh. Um, so I think there's, you know, the performances are a bit mixed. The sound design and the music on this, though, I, I really, I did enjoy. You do get the sense of this kind of undersea base um, in two very different periods of its existence. Um, you do kind of get this kind, you know, sort of the activeness of it in sort of one time period and sort of the run down water dripping you know this yeah. place could potentially kill you at any moment mm -hmm. feeling which is just absolutely wonderful and there's actually i don't think a whole lot of music in it or it tends to be music that's more ambience yeah yeah which um it's something that i think big finish can can be good at when it really wants to be but you know especially if you think a lot some of the more recent stuff where the music seems to just kind of take over at points which the tv series suffers from as well um, but that's a topic for a whole other podcast altogether. Mm. But I think on the whole, it's it's the one of these two I probably enjoyed the most. Um, it's certainly the one I would be more willing to listen to again. Oh, I'm dropping spoilers for the next review we're going to be doing, aren't I? <laughs> well, to some degree. But uh, since I said I loved one and hated the other, you know that uh, this is the one that I hate. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> roles are about to switch. So hang on, everybody. We're going into exile. Are you sure you're not the doctor, eccentrically dressed as a guard? No, I'm definitely a guard, sent with a report from the Castellan's office. <clears throat> I'm afraid the doctor has escaped. Ever since I've been in this job, my mind seems to have been spinning. You know that pet shop down the road? Yeah, why? There's a sort of furry rodent creature in the window, and he's in this wheel thing. The faster he runs, the faster the wheel goes, but no matter how fast he runs, he, he just goes nowhere. That's how my mind feels. You need a drink. What in the name of Rassilon happened in there? We've got the wrong kind of money, and our clothes look ridiculous. Well, do you think it's the medallion? Possibly, yeah. And then the fact that our shirts are undone to our navels. I've always found purple to be a most soothing colour. Yeah. Whenever I've been here in, in London before, um, I've always been, uh, you know, otherwise occupied. Oh, with all that doctoring you used to do. Yes. Why'd you give it up? I suppose you could say you wouldn't expect to find me here. <laughs> oh, that's the idea. Exile. Yeah. Um, now, don't be so sour. <laughs> I'm going to say that this is another one that is Marmite. It is Marmite particularly in one direction, because the majority of people I've read go and will agree probably with me. They don't like it very much. Oh, no. At all. 
Oh, really? You yes. Dorothy, curse you. You like to hang with people you agree with. So. No, it's not that I don't like to. You know, that's not it at all. You know what? I my problems with the story is is that once you get beyond the first five to ten minutes, it turns into a series of reoccurring gags that just keep repeating themselves. It tries to be a comedy, and it's not a very good one, which the trailer probably isn't going to let you know. Well, and see, and that's what I enjoyed about it. I laughed all the way through. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I especially enjoy the combination of Toby Longworth and David Tennant as the two Time Lords. Yes. To me, they were endlessly entertaining. Yes, which, okay, that is the one good thing about the story. Okay, let me rephrase my whole thing. Once you get beyond the first five to ten minutes and them, the rest of it is not very good at all. Let <laughs> me explain why. This, you know, it. Nick Briggs wrote this, and by Nick Briggs' own admission and the big finish, you know, New Audio Adventures Inside Storybook, he deliberately set out to write a comedy. It might just be because, as we talked about before, I am not a huge fan of comedy Doctor Who. I don't mind humor in the show. I don't mind things like City of Death or Douglas Adams writing for the show. The problem is, is that when you do comedy in Doctor Who, it tends to take over the show. And here, it does that full on. You know, you get past the opening sequence, which is a wonderful parody of the trial scenes from The War Games. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely wonderful. And you get beyond the first couple of scenes, uh, where we first meet the this alternate female third Doctor, played by Arabella Weir, who's working at Sainsbury's, of all places. And she goes down to the pub with a couple of her co-workers. And once that scene is over with, that scene is legitimately funny. Mm -hmm. Once you get past that point, though, I could turn the thing off and just kind of be okay. Because it ends up turning out that the Doctor, to get away from the Time Lords at the end of the War Games, commits suicide, regenerates into a woman, and flees to Earth. That is the whole premise of this whole thing. It's actually two unbound what-ifs in one. What if the Doctor was a woman? What if the Doctor had gotten away at the end of the War Games? And for a lot of it, I think Briggs is trying to write kind of an affectionate um, sort of homage to the show. You know, you think about things like Curse of Fatal Death that Stephen Moffat wrote just a couple of years before this. You know, and it sort of, you know, plays around with a lot of the kind of the tropes and the cliches of the second and third Doctor era. You know, there's references to quarks, and, you know, clearly there's sort of oblique references to things like unit, potential alien invaders wearing what look like terrible rubber masks, but that's actually what they look like kind of thing. Once you kind of get past that point, though, it does, for me, kind of spend most of its run having devolved into a series of drunken sort of escapades with tons of belching and vomiting and the second Doctor finding his successor and sort of bashing her over the head with everything she's not doing with herself. Well, I, I admit that I could do without all the belching and vomiting, but it does underscore to the degree this Doctor um, has gone off the rails, really, um, in, in an effort to hide from the Time Lords. Yeah. Um, so at first I found it all kind of disgusting, but then after a while I realized, well, yeah, not only has she done a fairly successful job of running away from the Time Lords, but she herself has pretty much forgotten who she is and what her mission is. Yeah, I, I just, you know, and I, I think there's an interesting story to potentially be told in doing that. I mean, it's not, 
incredibly far removed from, you know, either the novel Human Nature or its its TV adaptation, Human Nature, Family of Blood. But it's kind of like Briggs, who I think by his own admission doesn't read a lot of the books, might have heard that this book, that book existed, went, I bet I could do that as a comedy where the doctor becomes a woman. Yeah, now, um, when, as I said earlier, when I purchased this unbound range and listened to them way back before I'd heard very much of Doctor Who, um, otherwise, a lot of these tropes went right over my head and a lot of other references made no sense to me. Right. But I come to it now with a lot more background on Doctor Who, which made me really enjoy all these references. Um, so so it made it quite delightful for me. And when you say that once you get past the opening scene and the rest is kind of boring, I loved the visit of Princess Anne, the way the um, the head of Saintsbury's <laughs> explains it. Like, oh, yay, we're going to do this. And she's, well, why are we doing this? Well, um, because she was a kind of a loose ends and they had to find something for her to do, which is such a perfect joke on all the, the dramatic appearances that the royal family do. Right. Everything is a butt of jokes, but I thought they were well set up. So, yes, I found myself laughing at a lot of things other than just the interplay between the two Time Lords. Mm. I mean, the two for me, the, the thing that makes it bearable to listen to is is the two Time Lords. Um, it's especially, because I didn't realize David Tennant was in it when I bought it, um, and sort of listening to it, and listening to him play this kind of, you know, upper class sort of, you know, guy who's just, you know, Time Lord who's just, who, the, you know, him and the Toby Longworth one as well. They're, they're Time Lord 1 and Time Lord 2. They're not even given names. <laughs> which is a very Doctor Who thing to do because if you ever watch the credits of the classic series, it's like Cyberman 1 and Cyber Controller and Cyberman and that kind of thing. Yeah, I had forgotten that he was in it and even listened to it. I did not recognize his voice. It was my looking up something else that put me, you know, enlightened me of his name. It's like, oh my gosh. So I had to listen to it again. Yeah. Just to listen to him and oh my goodness, he does such a great job. But, yeah, you know, it kind of just, it also sinks after a while, because I think there's only so many times that you can get away with the joke of the fact that these two Time Lords thought they were going to show up in the 70s, and instead they showed up in the 2000s, and they don't understand Earth culture or anything. Oh, and they're in the wrong outfits. Oh, Lord. I got endless pleasure out of that. And the fact that the two of them are striving to be able to just sit around in purple robes and sign papers and things. You know, they, they want that cushy life. Yes. Well, it just seemed like there's there's only so far that joke goes, and it's a bit like the whole, you know, one drunken belching thing after another. Yeah, like I said, the, the, the drunken belching and vomiting, I probably could have done without, except, like I said, it underscored her dilemma. But um, no, none of the jokes wore thin on me. And um, I enjoyed them both times I listened through this. Hmm. We, <laughs> we will agree to disagree, Mary Lane. That is all <laughs> I'm going to say. Well, we're going to have to, because this one I would listen to anytime. time. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'd rather bleed from my ears first. Um, <laughs> At one point, I was washing dishes um, during the, my initial run through, and I had to stop at one point and hold on to the sink. I was laughing so hard. Over those Time Lords. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's... I don't want to be completely negative about it, because it's got its moments. Uh-huh. 
the opening, the opening five ten minutes especially, and as I said, and the you know, and some of the business with the uh, the two time lords. I just think after a while, it just it, it sort of runs out of steam. It doesn't quite know where it's going. It's trying too hard to be funny. I think it's maybe my problem with it. It's, mm. you know, it's tr- I think it's you know Nick Briggs by his own admission. If you you know if you listen to him talk about it, you know expresses a lot of dissatisfaction with it. Maybe because he might, well he I think he said he's aware of the fact that a lot of people don't like it very much. Mm. And it was also the last of the six original Unbounds. Um, though it wasn't meant to be, and it just. It, it feels like it brings the whole original Unbound run to an end with a whimper rather than a bang. I just, I don't think it works, really. I think it's sort of, you know, it's one repeated gag after the other. It can't decide if it's going to be, you know, a, sort of an affectionate homage to the show, you know, a la something like Curse of Fatal it Death. It was. I thought it was an affectionate homage to the show. And she and the doctor pulls through in the end discovers herself and and does what needs to be done and something else that i want to bring up that i appreciated uh is that you know there's a lot of uh hair pulling and hand wringing over oh can the doctor be a woman well in this story all of the worries that people might have about the doctor being a woman never even come up yeah it's it's, she just happens to be a woman because it's a good disguise but nothing about her you know that that some people worry about you know, would she have a lover? Would she, you know, be subservient to some other guy who would likely be her companion? All those other issues. Not a single one of those things comes up. She just is who she is. And I appreciated that. Well, I think that might also be because as well, for the vast majority of the story, the doctor isn't the doctor in it. That's something else that bugs me about it. The, you, know, we, you know, you finally have a female doctor and the doctor doesn't get to be doctorish. For until a, the end. Until the very end, and then it's all it's all still played for laughs at the very end. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, give me a comedy Doctor Who or give me a female Doctor. Or, you know, establish a female Doctor, then give me a comedy Doctor Who. You know, it's just, it feels like, it, you know, it's too busy trying to play to both of its what-ifs that it's trying to deal with. And I don't think it ever quite satisfactorily does one or the other. Uh, well, at least in my own it, mind. So. Uh, I think it does it very successfully. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Hmm. <laughs> and here again, I would love to have other people listen to this. And uh, since we disagree so dramatically. Yes, this is this might. I don't think we've ever had a disagreement about two stories or any one story is quite as dramatic <laughs> as these two. <laughs> yeah. I thought our disagreement about enemy aliens from Destiny of the Doctor was bad. <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, the, the, this is fun, and I would love to hear what other people have to say after they listen to these. Uh, well, I, I personally think it's cringeworthy for the most part and a waste of money. But oh, quit, just quit. At, I will say, at least it's cheap. <laughs> yes, they are both extremely affordable. $5 on downloads, $7.98 by, on CD. Plus shipping, so probably closer to 10 But I'm being pedantic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so wh- whichever one of us you happen to agree with in terms of these stories, at least you won't have wasted that much money if you didn't like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there are definitely better stories in the Unbound range. The two David Warner, Nicholas Courtney, th- alternate Third Doctor ones, Sympathy for the Devil and Masters of War that we talked about, oh, the better part of a year ago now. 
um, are both fantastic. I think we reviewed them, what, episode 10, I think? Maybe 11? Um, Somewhere uh, in there? Looking, it was in... Oh, uh, episode 10, yes. So, I mean, and some of the other, there's, there, yeah, we've covered half the series now, so there's still the other half that needs to be covered, and there's a very good possibility we'll be talking about one of those <laughs> early next year. So, we'll see when we cross that bridge. So, whatever your thoughts may be on these stories, whether you like them, hate them, or in that rare camp of being indifferent, please let us know via our Facebook group, Stories from the Vortex, or you can send in feedback to be played into the show or even read out, you can do so at feedback.vortex at yahoo.com. As we reach the end of this year and start planning out next year, we're also very open to your suggestions, so please send them in. Now, the next episode that we're going to do um, is going to finish up the uh, Destiny of the Doctor series. Yes, our reoccurring theme throughout this year. Uh, we're going to be looking at, if I remember correctly, uh, the last three stories from that range, looking at the new series, Doctors 9, 10, and 11. So it'll be our first foray whatsoever into new series territory. So this could be interesting, or not, as the case may be. wonder if we'll agree or disagree on those, man. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to disagree. Because <laughs> early comments we've made some time ago lead me to think that. <laughs> mm -hmm. This uh, should be interesting then. Uh-huh. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for that. And I guess until then, that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Take care.